Hey, what's going on, day travelers? I'm Jason, and I'm here interviewing park rangers and outdoor enthusiasts just like you, getting their story and tips so you can be ready for your next adventure. I'm here with Thomas Vandenberg. He is the chief of interpretation at Big Bend National Park. We're gonna deep dive into everything you need to know before venturing out there. So Tom, how did you became the, the National Park interpreter over there at Big Ben? I worked for the Park Service for about 30 years and came to Big Ben many, many years ago just as a visitor. Didn't really know much about it. Uh, my wife and I were traveling across country in a Volkswagen bus and figured we'd head off the interstate and head south and just kind of fell in love with the place and didn't really, didn't really know what to expect and just like most visitors kind of are blown away by the size of it and the diversity of it and the uh, incredible opportunities for adventure and recreation and um, vowed that we'd come back one day and never really realized we'd come back to work here. So um, many years later, um, job came open and uh, we applied and uh, we arrived in Big Bend. We raised our two kids here in the little school behind park headquarters and have just uh, spent a lot of our lives exploring this amazing place. It's uh, been a big part of our lives. And uh, we then left and went to Alaska. I worked up in Alaska for the last uh, 15 years in Glacier Bay and Wrangell-St. Elias National Parks. And uh, uh, actually had the opportunity to come back as the chief of Interp. I've been back a little over a year now. So I've been here several times in my life and a couple times during my uh, career with the Park Service. It, it is pretty amazing that like you find a park like this in Texas because in most of it, most of Texas, you notice it's pretty flat. Oh, I know. People have no idea this is here. And you look at a photo or something and it doesn't even look like Texas. And uh, you tell people, oh, yeah, I live in Texas. And they're going, what? You know, what do you mean you live in? <laughs> There's a national park in Texas. You're like, oh, yeah, there is. Best one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is. Like Even, even people that have, you know, lived in Texas their whole lives, they, you know, they grew up in East Texas or Central Texas. And then uh, somewhere along the lines, they've always wanted to come to Big Bend, but it's a big investment in time, you know, and they finally make it out and they, they themselves are just blown away and they're they're from the state and they had no idea i can actually speak to that because then um that's i think the, i told you earlier that I, i've been down there nine times already and the first time was on accident like a friend of mine invited me down there right we went camping and i was just like you said blown away like i did not expect this from texas whatsoever and then so every single time there's someone new there and every single time that new person wants to bring more people. And then that's how I end up becoming kind of the unofficial tour guide of Big Ben. Um, and that's where I'm going back down again, the 10th the time, I guess. Um, but yeah, can you tell us a little bit of like the background and the story of Big Ben? Well, the park, I guess, you know, this is a perfect year to talk about it. Um, 2019, because it's 75 years old this summer. Actually, just a few weeks ago was the 75th anniversary, June 12th. Big Bend is can, uh, often referred to as Texas's gift to the nation, which is just uh, a perfect description because this national park, you know, this whole part of West Texas was just very, very much 
an unknown entity. People didn't really, you know, it's unknown now, but you can imagine, you know, back in the 1800s and the early 1900s, very unknown. Um, the National Park Service at the time was looking for other areas to add to the National Park Service, and uh, they sent some people down here to Big Bend, and they were blown away by it. They recommended that the park become a national park in 1935. Um, so it was authorized as a national park in 1935, but there was no funding to, to make it so. And the state of Texas uh, stepped in, and it took about nine years, but eventually they raised funds and authorized the expenditure of a million and a half dollars to actually purchase the land to donate to the federal government specifically as a national park. And so we're looking at 1944, um, just a few days after the D-Day invasion, President Roosevelt uh, signs legislation and receives the deed. And then on June 12th, uh, still a time when the future was really unknown and in Fortress Europe was being invaded and no one knew what the outcome was going to be, but he took time out of his busy schedule to um, ensure that this became a national park. So this is the only national park established during World War II, um, and it's uh, something that people are really proud of, you know, the fact that this park was given to the country by Texas. And so even today... Most of our visitors are from Texas, which is pretty cool as far as national parks go. Um, a lot of national parks visitors come from all over the place, but here most of our visitors come from Texas, and they've been here many times before, and they love this place, and uh, it's really fun to share it with them. So uh, it's a proud, proud addition to our national park system, and it, I'm really proud to work here and share it with, the, with everybody. Like you said, it is a national park. And what the funny thing is, I think that I keep forgetting when we went down there one time, we were, we were you know, you guys have one shower place. So we were trying to get quarters <laughs> and the quarter machine wasn't working. And then we thought everybody else there were Texan. But no, they're actually um, tourists from like other countries. I think we were trying to like get quarters from like a Japanese couple and they were speaking only in Japanese. They were like, oh, no, <laughs> I totally forgot. But yeah, Um Another thing you talked about this year is a great year to talk about Big Ben. You guys had such a year so far. Like, you guys had the blue bonnet bloom. Uh, the end of last year was the 40th anniversary of the Rio Grande Wild and Scenic River, so we're celebrating that. Uh, and then, of course, the 75th anniversary this year, and we're just kind of celebrating that throughout the year um, with some special programs and events. Um, if we just celebrate the anniversary of the park on June 12th, we're missing most of our visitors. It's pretty slow in the summer months. Uh, so we're celebrating that year-round. It has been a big year. We had a lot of rain this last winter, um, way above normal, and so the park was just really green and wet in, in ways that people really haven't seen it in many, many years. And we had probably a 15, 20-year bloom here this last spring and it was remarkable it was fields of blue bonnets as far as you can see and then that was followed up with all the cactus blooming and then right now as we enter the summer months we're seeing a tremendous bloom of century plants the big agaves that put up their big stalks like 20 25 feet tall 
and it's one of the the best blooming uh, years for the agaves, the century plants that anyone can remember. Uh, and we're we actually had a pretty pretty wet June so far too, so uh, the desert's looking really nice. You did say that you guys like this season, like around this time, is your slow season, and I'm guessing because Big Bend is pretty hot, so the temperature, it actually depending on which part of the park the temperature varies, you know, because it's so big. Can you talk a little about the, the temperature and how travelers and visitors need to be aware of that and how they can combat that? Yeah, people should know that we are, in essence, a desert park, which kind of makes us a winter park. So the vast majority of our visitation occurs in the winter time, and I would say the months of November through April um, is our peak season, when a lot of other national parks are snowed in we're going, you know, full bore throughout the season. And then uh, things really slow down in the summer months here. The park remains open. Um, we do close down a couple of our visitor centers at the time because it's so warm. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty time to be here in the summer. Things are green. We get our, um, our monsoon rains in the summer months. You get some tremendous clouds and afternoon thunderstorms and uh, the birds are here, butterflies are going, um, there's still some cactus blooming and some wildflowers you don't see in the wintertime. Um, during the summer months, you know, you're looking at temperatures in the 90s at park headquarters, which is at about middle elevation of the park. And that's important for people to know is that the park has over 6,000 feet of vertical elevation. So at park headquarters in the summer it's 90 and we're at about 4,000 feet elevation but you go down along the river and and as a general rule it's 10 degrees hotter so it's over 100 degrees down along the river Uh, but then uh, conversely you go up into the high country up into the Chisos mountains and it's about 10 degrees cooler so it's in the the 80s um, upper 70s to mid 80s in the Chisos mountains in the summer um, 90s at headquarters, over 100 at the river, and then in the in the winter months, really, um, you know, fall, winter, spring are just delightful here. I mean, the temperatures range from the 60s to the 80s, and it's just uh, fantastic. Which is why most people come that time of year. Just want to give Thomas a thank you for joining us in this episode. You'll be on the next episode, so look out for that. If you want to hear a certain park or outdoor adventure, please go to www.daystravel.com, go to the podcast page, scroll all the way down, and email me. And I also want to give a shout out to all my Patreon contributors because this episode wouldn't be possible without you guys. I'm Jason, and I'll talk to you next time.